Well, good morning. What a beautiful song. You guys picked, wow, probably the best song for the topic that we are going to be exploring today. I just want us to open in prayer now as we prepare to hear God's word. Let's join in prayer together. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for your gift of time. And we pray, Lord, that you would give us hearts wide open right now to everything that you want to say to us about the time that we're living in and about what you want to do in it and in our lives. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, for those of you I haven't met before, I think I've met many of you, but my name's Jacob. I'm our young adults coordinator, and I work also with our tech ministry here. And every now and then, I also get the chance to preach, and it's such a joy. You know, the title of today's message is How Not to Be Time Travelers. And you might wonder, why is that significant? I'm not a time traveler, so why would I need to know how not to be one? Well, it's actually funny that time traveling is something that we want to do all the time. It's when we're in those moments that we don't particularly like, and we want to get to another moment, whether that moment's in the future or in the past. And so sometimes we want to fast forward time. We want to jump ahead to those moments where we have all the knowledge that we need. Maybe we're in class and we just want to get to the end of it, and so we might sing with Aloe Black, Wake me up when it's all over, when I'm wiser and I'm older. We just want to skip past. Or maybe sometimes we want to rewind time, back to when times were simpler or easier. And we might sing with 21 Pilots. We wish we could turn back time to the good old days when our mom would sing us to sleep, but now we're stressed out. So we might want to rewind time. And then when we finally get to that time we want to be in, we might want to hit pause on time, just to stay there forever. We might sing with Pitbull's song, Feel This Moment, let's stop time and enjoy this moment. And so these are the ways that we try to time travel. And you know, there's this movie that you may have seen before, starring Adam Sandler. It's called Click. You can see it right here. And in the movie, Adam Sandler gets what we all want, a remote that lets him do all those things. He can fast forward, rewind, pause. And we might see that and think that, that's what I want. I want a remote that lets me control the time that I'm living in. But the question is, is that what we need? A remote that lets us control time. Well, that's what our text in Ecclesiastes 3 is going to help us to see today. And I encourage you to open there with me now as we prepare to read. And this text, it's all about time. It tells us so much that we need to know about time itself and the times that we are living in. So I encourage you to open your heart to what God has to say to us through this text. Let's read it together. There is a time for everything, a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war 
and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. So, what is this passage telling us about time? Well, at first it might seem to be saying something to us that we think we've all heard before. There's a time and a place for everything. You've all heard the cliche, maybe from a parental figure saying, there's a time and a place for everything, now is not the time. And you really wanted to do something and your parent was like, no, you're not doing that. So we think we've heard this before and we might think, well, why is that important for me to listen to? Well, there are two extremely significant things, things that are absolutely crucial that this text tells us about time. The first is that the times are beautifully fitting, that God has made everything beautiful in its time. And by saying that, the teacher, he's not saying that every single time you're in is just butterflies and rainbows, that it's all pretty and beautiful. The teacher is saying that the way that God has made the times to work is beautiful. The way time works, it's beautiful because no time, it 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 ever stays the same. No time is static. Like smoke, remember that word hebel or hevel that we were looking at in the first three sessions? Time is like smoke. It's something that takes one form and then before you know it, it takes another. As the seasons change, we see it and that is what makes time beautiful. And the thing that's beautiful about it is that every time has its place. Every time fits somehow within God's design. And that includes even the shape of our everyday, ordinary lives. And the teacher shows us that by giving us this list, this really long list that covers all the different ways that we as human beings spend our lives. He's showing us that in the same way that there is a regularity to the seasons and how they flow, There's a regularity and order to our lives, our everyday lives, mirror the pattern that we see in creation. Isn't that cool? And so our everyday lives, they mirror what God has made. And what's remarkable about this list is that the teacher doesn't single out any of these things as more important than the other. The whole list, he lists actually a bunch of things that we might not like the sound of. He lists things like, well, death uprooting, referring to disruption, like when things are disrupted in your life, of weeping and mourning, times of gathering stones, probably referring to accumulating wealth, which takes hard work. Also times of no embracing, like we can't hug each other. Times of giving up, times of loss, of tearing relationships, of silence, of hatred, and of war. We hear all these things and we're like, I don't like the sound of that, but Instead of saying that these times are worse than their opposites, the teacher is showing us that all of this fits somehow within God's design. That even the times we see as insignificant or undesirable, God weaves into the beautiful tapestry of the times that he has made. The teacher is showing us that God does not discriminate between the times like we do. Whereas we may see one time is more valuable than another, like Christmas, dancing at Christmas and enjoying that, we may see that is more significant than the times we spend weeping and mourning alone. 
But the teacher is saying that both come from God. They're both part of the beautiful times that he has made. And so you could be peeling a potato. You could be taking out the trash. You could be stuck in traffic. And it's significant because God has made it so. Because God has made everything beautiful in its time. Because within his design for the cosmos and for time, there are no insignificant moments. That is what this text is showing us. But there's a second thing. There's a second thing the teacher wants to tell us about time. That is that time is beyond human control. Now, this is not a mistake. God didn't mess up by making time this way. This is part of the way that he has made the times. On one hand, the teacher says, God has given human beings a sense of time. He has set eternity in our hearts, meaning we can tell the past from the future. We can tell what time it is. That's what it means by eternity in our hearts. God's set eternity in our hearts, but what God has not given us is total comprehension of the times. What he has set beyond our reach is the ability to control the way that time works. And that's not a bad thing, though. Because God's actually the one who knows how time works best. The boundaries he's created around time, they're good. And they're for our flourishing. And so it's not bad that time is beyond our control. Now, if we were to accept this, if we were to accept these two things that the teacher tells us about time, that time is beautiful and that is beyond our control, then we could, by God's grace, get on with living as God intended us to by seeking to fit in to the beautifully fitting times that he has made. But that's not what we've done. It's not at all what we've done. See, we don't see time the way that God has described it to us. Instead, we come to God with a list of objections. We come to him saying, no, there should be more time so that I can accomplish the things that I want to do. Or we come to him saying, I shouldn't have to go through times of pain and discomfort. Or we say that I shouldn't have to wait so long to accomplish the things that I want to. God, time should be this way instead of how you've made it. And so even though God has told us that the times are beautifully fitting, we don't trust God. We don't trust what he's told us about the times. And then, because God seems to be unwilling to cooperate with our requests, we take matters into our own hands. We start to develop our own definitions of what makes time valuable. And we don't need to look far to see this at all. We see it every day in our culture. You've probably noticed, as I have, that there are two particular kinds of time that our culture puts up on a pedestal. Times of productivity and times of leisure. These are the two most valuable times. And you see it in the way that people answer the question, how are you? If we're not answering the question, how are you, with I'm good or I'm well, we're often answering it with I'm busy. Or often we want to have a really good answer to the question, what did you do this weekend? And so we want to fill up our weekends with really fun ways of spending our leisure time. And these things aren't bad in and of themselves, but what they show is that 
the most valuable times for you and I are these. We have discriminated between what times are valuable. These are what make time meaningful. And so we say, time is valuable when I complete my task quickly and have enough time to do the things I really want. And then we work as hard and as efficiently as we can to get things done so we can achieve our goal. Or we say, time is valuable when I have lots of fun on the weekends. And so we fill our weekends with all kinds of fun activities so that we can accomplish our goal. And what's the result? Well, in short, everybody's working for the weekend, like the song goes. That's what the result is. And we might think this is working for us a lot of the time. We might think, yes, this is, I'm actually enjoying the way that time's going. I'm getting lots done. I'm enjoying my weekend. It's great. But what about when you don't accomplish your goals? You see, this life, it only promises us happiness if we're achieving the productivity and the pleasure that we set out for. And so what happens when you're unproductive? When the bus is late and puts you behind? What happens when your weekend wasn't that enjoyable because your vacation plans got canceled? What happens worse when you're injured and you can't do any of the things that you wanted to do? Then where does your definition of time leave you? See, the problem is that what makes time valuable in our definitions is things that we can't always achieve. And they leave us content only if we're living in the times we want to be. And if we're not, then our minds get set on those moments. We get fixated on them. We say, I want to be there instead. We say, I wish I were being more productive right now. Or I, I wish that I were having more fun right now. Or, ah, I wish that I were doing either of these things, but I'm not. And so this time that I'm in, it's just meaningless, useless. It's not good for anything. Has that ever been your thought pattern before? Where you're in a moment and you say, this is not how I want to be spending my time. This is meaningless. You may not have realized it before, but if that has been your thought pattern, then you have desired what we all desire, to be time travelers to escape that moment that you're in, and to enter a new one. But the problem is that this will only lead to frustration. It will only lead to frustration because you can't time travel. It doesn't matter how much you may want to get through that boring class, you can't fast forward because time will go at its own speed. That's how God's made it. You can't go back, even if you had a spiritual high in the past that you want to return to, you can't rewind because God's made time to go forward. And you can't make Christmas last forever no matter how much you're enjoying it because every moment will end. No season is permanent. And so when we try to be time travelers and control time to make it the way we want it to be, it will leave us frustrated every time because God has put that beyond our reach. That is not how he has made the times to work. But not only will it leave you frustrated, that's only the half of it. It will also lead you to behave, you and I to behave in utterly sinful ways. See, to go back to that movie, Click, with Adam Sandler, if you've seen it before, then you'll know that 
when Adam Sandler uses this magic remote to fast-forward time or to do anything to escape his moment in time travel, he enters kind of autopilot mode, we'll call it. He becomes unreceptive to enjoyment. He becomes unresponsive to the people around him. He becomes almost like a walking zombie, just giving out default answers to every question, not paying any attention to what's going on in his present moment. And I want to submit to you that when you and I desire to time travel, that we enter the same autopilot mode, that we become unreceptive to the enjoyment that God has for us right in front of us, We become unresponsive to the people who are in the room with us, who could be sitting right across from us, but we're not even paying attention to them because we're just thinking about the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. We enter autopilot mode when we want to be time travelers, and then we miss what is right in front of us in our moment because we're so focused on another moment, whether it be in the future or the past. And this, C.S. Lewis tells us, this is one of the devil's craftiest schemes. It comes from Satan himself. Because his goal is to get you focused, either on the future or the past. It doesn't matter where he gets your focus, but anything to distract you from the blessings of the present and of eternity. This is the devil's doing. Autopilot mode is his way of distracting you from what God wants for you. I wish I could say that I haven't fallen prey to this temptation, but I have. I have so many times in my life that more than I care to admit, honestly. And when I'm operating in this autopilot mode, it often goes something like this. I start to hate my work. I don't enjoy what I'm doing anymore. Not only do I hate my work, but I don't do it well because I'm just trying to get through it to the moment where the work is over. And not only that, but when I finally get to the moment when the work is over, I don't even enjoy that moment. You may have experienced this before, but when you have your heart set on the weekend, that you put all of your stock in that, then when you finally get to the weekend, it can't possibly live up to the expectations that you've been putting on it. And it will end. You can't hit pause on it. And so I find when I start working for the weekend, then not only do I not work well, but I don't enjoy the weekend. But it gets worse. It gets worse because I start ignoring the people around me and their needs. I start ignoring the ways that God may even want to interrupt me in the middle of my moment and show me something that I haven't seen And I become unavailable, unavailable to other people, unavailable to God, and unloving with my time. And then as interruptions come that slow me down from accomplishing the things that I want to accomplish, I only become more unloving and more unavailable because it's taking me longer to get to the time that I want to get to. Maybe you've been there before, too. And if you have, I just want to ask a question. What happens if the one who is interrupting you in that moment is the sovereign God himself? You know, there's a story in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus, he comes to this village and he meets a man who 
has a legion of demons in him. And he casts out the legion of demons, sends it into a herd of pigs, and the pigs go running off of a cliff. And then the whole village comes, and they're shocked. Some of them are probably angry because of the loss of wealth they've accumulated from these pigs running off the cliff. And so they say to Jesus, we want you to leave our region. We want you to go away. This man has just experienced from Jesus the most incredible thing he could have asked for. He's been healed of his demons. He is free. And yet these people, they don't want anything to do with him there. They want him to leave because he's interrupting their agenda. I want to ask, is it possible that you and I have done the same thing when God wants to interrupt our agenda? That we've said, I want you to leave because you're getting in the way of what I want. Even if you want to do it for good reasons, God, I have my own plans, so I want you to leave. Maybe we've done that. See, you and I have forgotten the truth of God's word in Ecclesiastes that we need, that God has made everything beautiful in its time. And because we've forgotten that, that even interruptions are a gift from him and are beautiful, we have dehumanized ourselves, we've dehumanized other people, and we've cut ourselves off from right relationship with God all so that we can be trying to live in the moment that we want to be in. And that hurts God. It hurts us. There's good news. The good news is that there is another way to live. The teacher in Ecclesiastes says this, I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. And so what is the better way? Well, Ecclesiastes tells us it involves two things, seeing good and being good. And so what do each of those things mean? Well, first, seeing good. To see good means that rather than always looking at the moment that you want to get to, wanting to be there, we enjoy the good that is right in front of us. We enjoy food, friendship, with others, a job well done. And instead of trying to cling to these things, to try to hit pause on time and make them last forever, we accept that these things won't last forever and we hold them with an open hand. We embrace everything, every time as it comes. And also what we do, also what it means to see good, it means that we don't look at time as something to be manipulated for our gain. It's recognizing that we can't add to God's work, as the teacher says, that nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. And that's not because God is punishing us. It's because God wants us to give up control, to fall on him, and to stand in awe of him and his enduring work. God makes the times the way they are, sets them beyond human control. Why? Because he wants a relationship with you. Because he wants you to fear him. The way that time works is God saying, I love you. I want a relationship with you. 
Does that melt your heart the way it melts mine? That the sovereign God wants a relationship with you and time as it exists is his gift and his way of getting you to see that he wants that relationship. But God goes further still, and this is the most incredible news there is. Because God saw that we were living apart from him. God saw that we weren't embracing time as he intended it to be. He saw the ways that we were dehumanizing ourselves, cutting ourselves off from others, cutting ourselves off from him. And he could have turned his back on us like we did on him, but he didn't. Instead, God enters into time itself. He becomes a human being. Jesus becomes one of us. And he goes to the cross and he dies a sinner's death so he could pay for all of our sin so that we could be forgiven and restored to relationship with him, the relationship that God always intended for us. So that every moment, his presence wouldn't be separate from us. But in fact, because Jesus rose from the dead and poured out his spirit upon us, we can live every moment with him present because his spirit is with us. It's in us, living inside us. And more, because Jesus has clothed us with his spirit, with immortality, we can have eternal life with him. And so God pays it all because he wants a relationship with you. I just want to say, if you're here just exploring Christianity, God wants that relationship with you. And you can say yes. You can say yes to him by seeing the work that he's done for you and marveling at it and saying, God, I see that what you want for me is best. And I want to let you lead me. I want that more than I want to be in the time that I want to be in you can say yes to God's gift of life. To see good means that God has given you the gift of his very life, and you need to see that. God has given you the gift of his very life, of eternal life with him, and that life begins right now. You can embrace that. And God does this by sheer grace. As Paul says, God saved you by his grace when you believed, And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation, it's not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And so you can rest secure in every moment, knowing that God has saved you and given you new life with Jesus. So are you living every moment in light of that gift? Now, you may wonder, what about when times are bad? What about when you're suffering? Maybe you're going through a particularly hard time right now. Maybe you've been saying to yourself something like this, I know what Jesus has done for me, but right now, God's presence, I don't feel it the way that I used to. God feels far off, and I just want things to go back to the way they used to be when I could feel God's presence close again. Now I get that, and I get that suffering, it's not simple. There's no easy answer to it, but this is not it. The answer is not to go back to the way things used to be. As Ecclesiastes tells us, do not say, why were the old days better than these? 
for it is not wise to ask such questions. And he goes on to say, consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. And so you might think, wait, is that saying that God sends bad times my way on purpose? That God authors those? Well, no. We know that suffering, it comes from a lot of different things. It can come from other people's sinfulness and from the fallenness of the world that we live in. But what this text is saying is that God, nonetheless, he is sovereign over time. He has still made that time that you were in. He's still in control. And so God still has something for you in that time. And by trying to get out of that time, you might be missing that. And God doesn't want you to miss that. Maybe what God wants for you more than anything else, if you're suffering, is for you to draw near to him. For him to let you, or for for you to let him walk through that moment with you. It's as we sang, to rest in God's unfailing love. To rest in the fact that God is good even when life is not good. Maybe that's what God wants for you in your time. I think this is how Paul was able to say, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. And so Paul is not saying, I always get to be living in the time that I want to live in. He's saying, I can embrace any kind of time, good times, bad times, anything, because I can find Jesus in the midst of every time, and I'm depending on him. Are you depending on Jesus in your time? Are you drawing near to him? You can. And so the last question we want to ask then is what about being good? How do we be good, as the teacher has said? Well, like this. Rejoice. Always. Pray. Continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Notice, I didn't say, God's word doesn't say, rejoice when you're particularly happy. Pray when you're not busy. Give thanks when you feel like you've been productive. Always, continually, in all circumstances. Now, you might be saying, though, like, rejoice always? How is that even possible? How can we, like, am I just supposed to be overly optimistic all the time and put on a happy face? Well, no. There have been times in my life where I've gone to, like, a worship concert And the band was playing all wrong chords, and it just sounded awful. And yet, I look around me, and people are lifting their hands in praise. Why? Because God is the one they're worshiping. God's the one they're praising, not the praise team. Because God is good. The reason we can rejoice always is because God is always the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. And maybe rejoicing doesn't even look like singing. Sometimes rejoicing looks like mourning. Remember, there's a time for mourning. 
Sometimes rejoicing looks like the psalmist who cries out, How long? How long, Lord, must I wrestle with my thoughts? And yet in the same breath says, God, you are good and my mind is fixed on you. I will praise you. Or mourning like Jesus wept in the garden when he was about to go to the cross for the joy set before him. See, mourning and rejoicing, they go together. You can mourn and still rejoice. And see, maybe, maybe rejoicing doesn't look like singing. Maybe it doesn't look like mourning. Maybe, and sometimes, it will look like just living your everyday life, your everyday motions. I love how Eugene Peterson translates Romans 12, 1. He says this, here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. Embracing what God does for you. That is what rejoicing is about. That is what being good looks like. It's not doing it on your own steam. It's in every time you're in, whether you're particularly happy or whether it's a bad time. It's embracing what God has done for you, his gift of salvation, his gift of life, and then responding to that by praising him, by telling him how thankful you are because God has done that for you. And then after you've seen the goodness of God and you've praised him for it, you go And you imitate the good that you have seen. Embracing what God does for you means that you follow in God's footsteps. You imitate God's own goodness by loving the people around you. And so this, this is the opposite of autopilot mode. Seeing good and being good, this is how we confront being in a zombie-like, not paying attention in our present moment mode because we're attentive to God and who he is and what he's doing, and we're attentive to the people around us. I love how my professor, Ian Proven, he put it this way, only when what is done under the sun takes account of and responds to what is done by God can it be anything other than pointless. Now, that sounds like strong language, but it's true. Because being good, it's not about doing more. It's not about doing the things you want to do all the time. It's about doing everything. Everything as an act of worship, of rejoicing in response to what God has already done for you. And so your one task is worship. In every moment. How is time meaningful? Because God is the source of all meaning. And so the way that you can go through every time and find meaning and beauty in it is by worshiping the God in whom that beauty and meaning is found. Worship. That is our response. So I want to encourage you now. Maybe, maybe you've been going through the motions in life. We use that phrase a lot. I just feel like I'm going through the motions. Maybe you feel like you've been living in autopilot mode. And maybe you've thought that if times were different, like if I just had a different job or if I were just in a different situation, then I could get the life that I want. But see, the solution is not necessarily to change your motions. It's to change your motive. To change the motive behind what you're doing. 
to carry out your work and all you do with a different mindset. And so how do you do that? Well, I just want to offer you five practical encouragements. The first is this, purpose. Have a purpose behind what you do. Don't just wake up in the morning and write out a to-do list. Ask yourself, why am I doing this? How can I bring honor and glory to God through this task? Do your work with purpose and learn to see your work as a good gift from God. The second is patience. Recognize that your job, it's not to get through as many tasks as you possibly can. That's not what makes time valuable in contrast to what our culture says. Instead, have patience. Do things, well, slowly. Don't just move right from one task to the next. Pause as God paused every time he created something and stand back and say, thank you, God. Thank you for this. And then when you're interrupted, don't just bear down and work harder to try to make up for lost time. Instead, pause, pray. Even just say, thank you, God, for this interruption. I don't even know what it's for yet. I admit it kind of frustrates me. And yet, right now, I just want to embrace you. God, show me what this interruption is for. Help me by your spirit to respond well. Third, it's prayer. Pray every time you are in transition from one activity to another. Pray when you're interrupted. Pray at regular intervals during your day. Pray when you drive. Talk to God. Be in conversation with him always. And you might say, what do I pray? Well, pray the Lord's Prayer. Pray the Shema, which says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And pray and ask God, how can I do that in my moment? Fourth, perseverance. Persevere even when, as we sang today, even when we start wrestling with our thoughts, even when our minds start drifting to other times, instead of letting that take us away, refocus. Fix your attention on the gospel and let that lead you. Respond to God's work, to what he has done. And last, presence. Not being in the past, not being in the future, but being present. Give up on trying to be a time traveler. It won't work. And instead, choose to be present to God and to those around you. To be awake to everything that God wants to do in your life and to respond with rejoicing. That is well, this is the better way. As Ecclesiastes tells us, this is the best way for human beings to live. This is how we can see good, be good, and worship God in our everyday lives. And so, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, as 1 Corinthians tells us, do it all for the glory of God. Because you can find meaning and beauty in every time when you choose to worship him. I'm going to call the worship team forward now, and I'm I'm just going to end with a closing thought. The reality is, we don't get to choose our time. You may want to. You may not like your time. You may want to get to another one. Maybe you can relate to Frodo from The Lord of the Rings, who says to Gandalf, I wish these terrible things weren't happening in my time. I wish this hadn't happened in my time. 
But here is what Gandalf replies to Frodo, and this is what we all need to hear as well. That is not for us to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. That is what God is saying to you today, I believe. That whatever time you are in, it's not about choosing which time you're in, but whatever time you're in, choosing to worship him. And so what will you choose? Will you choose to worship him in your moment? This is the day that the Lord has made. Will you rejoice and be glad in it? God, I pray that we would. I pray that your spirit would help us to not be time travelers, but to embrace what you are doing in our moment and to worship you through everything that we do. Help us, God. Help us to worship you. In your name we pray.